This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brave. In this episode, we have Nick Swanson, Managing Partner at Swanson He. Nick, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Thanks, Art. Great. Thank you for coming. Okay. We're more than a year and a half into this pandemic. And aside from multiple challenges it's brought into our life, there's this one. Are you ready to volunteer to help others, providing your business a service for free? Are you entirely focused on your own survival? are willing to help people to relieve from some of the challenges they're going through. In this episode, Nick will tell us the story of his company commitment to help people in need hit by COVID-19 and more. But first, uh, let's start with talking about you, Nick. Tell the audience your background. How did you decide to go into mobile software business? Of course. My business partner, Chow, uh, the he part of Swenson He, and I have been fascinated with new digital experiences for um, uh, the last decade or so. Uh, we met at MIT. Uh, we actually were fraternity pledge brothers. Uh, and after MIT, we graduated. He worked at a startup. I worked in the corporate world, did work at Bain & Company in the tech space. And what we really recognized uh, was the mobile market was in the way we saw it, was pretty underserved in terms of bringing those, the really fascinating digital experiences that, that we like so much. And so part of our um, foray into it was finding clients who were excited about the same kind of new, innovative digital experiences. And the cool part was we got to build them. Um, we did that for the first couple of years and we, you know, it's just kind of the two of us we realized that maybe there was something more there that we could do. We could take on more projects if we hired some people. And so that was kind of the, the, the origin of kind of building out a, a company. And then we worked on our own branding and, and that sort of thing. So um, what I would say maybe started as a little bit more of a passion project has turned out to be um, uh, something a little bit more robust and mature than, than I think we maybe necessarily expected it to be. Got it. Out of curiosity, what are you studying in the MIT? What are your, your uh, specialization? Uh, I was a bioengineer. Uh, I did have a specialization in computational neuroscience. So uh, there was a little bit of a computer science piece because of that. But the thing that actually was that I think I'm drawn to the most is the, you know, I, I've been fascinated with psychology, neurobiology, neuropsychology. And I think the thing I like is, you know, digital experiences are about that transition between the, the, the digital world and the real world and understanding how a user interacts in that interface and how they think, uh, the decisions they make. It very much is a, in some cases, a psychology problem. That's for sure. That's interesting. Uh, on my book list, a few books ago was, uh, the Brain by David Eagleman. <laughs> mm. So yeah, I've been I've been interesting myself into into this field. So yeah, it's um, I I heard him a couple of times and 
different podcasts talking about the tech, what he was doing, and what is all about, what about the brain, how how it's different from you know regular perception of you know regular Joe from a street, and um, how it's actually possible to create the new sense. <laughs> which doesn't exist at this point, but you can kind of uh, tweak the brain, so to speak. That's sure. actually fascinating stuff. It is. It is. I, I spent some time at Caltech in 2013, uh, 12, 2012. Mm. And part of the project, uh, it was in a research lab, and the project I was working on was trying to figure out where consciousness comes from. You know, the, the idea that you have an identity of yourself. Uh, and we actually went to the extent that we were trying to use computers to model consciousness and, mm. and to say, try to essentially give identity to a computer. Um, unfortunately, we didn't do that. Otherwise, I honestly <laughs> famous. But um, the, the interesting problem was, was figuring out how difficult it is to do something like that. And there's, um, I mean, we had literal warehouses of computers trying to simulate what the brain does in nanoseconds. And, and quite honestly, we couldn't, we, we couldn't do the same computation that a, that a, that a brain or that a single neuron does. Yeah. That's, that's a fascinating topic, but really for the other podcast, let's get back to the half world. <laughs> okay. All right. So tell me about your company, Swanson He. Uh, what do you folks do? Who are your clients? Well, we alluded to it a little bit. A big part of what we do is building mobile and web experiences. We do the strategy, creative, the actual engineering, the development, the launching, post-launch support. Some of our clients, uh, a lot of them are Fortune 500. We have Scott's Miracle Grow, Simple Human, Stanford Healthcare, so really big brands. But actually where we approach things a little bit differently is not at the big brands. Those, those are always a lot of fun to work on because they, you know, budgets are infinite and, and marketing right. is infinite and you can do kind of whatever. Yeah. But our really interesting projects are more on the, the startup end, the new businesses, the new products, ones that are a little bit more innovative. And we approach it differently because of the way that we invest in our clients. And we invest time, our own time, and, you know, from a... a from an effort standpoint, we have a, a coaching program that we put founders through uh, that helps them grow their business. And then we, in fact, invest our own capital. Uh, part of our business is a venture capital arm. So we have mm -hmm. a, a literal fund that will, for some clients that are particularly interesting, will take some of that capital and invest it into that business, which we, which we believe has a lot of positive impact. It means that we have skin in the game. So we're really interested in their success. And of course they they can use the capital for whatever purpose they needed to. Um, and then we can kind of watch them mature over time. So we get to, we kind of get to see that, um, see that grow. Got it. Um, okay. Um, the last 18 months have been a challenge like no other since Spanish flu in the early 20th century. Uh, how challenging this time has been for you guys, for your team? I don't know that I would necessarily call it challenging. I think we've been very fortunate. In fact, we got lucky. Yeah, well, I would say lucky. Lucky instead of maybe challenging. In the six months prior to uh, January, February of 2020, kind of the yeah. start of COVID, 
Uh, one of our big pushes uh, was to be uh, capable of handling remote work. And so in that six months prior, uh, we started training, set up processes so that our team could be remote. And then lo and behold, when COVID hit, we went 100% remote. So in fact, it accelerated a little bit, but we had already kind of prepped for that. So internally, and I would say operationally, we were, we were, we were pretty okay. The challenging part, I think, is certainly from a market standpoint. There's been, I think there, especially over the last two years, there's been a lot of um, pullback from investors and just in general, people wanting to invest in tech. I think there's a little bit of fear and anxiety about what's coming up. And so mm-hmm. you know, when, when, when there's a little bit of anxiety, people spend less. And then the government steps in, has in, injected a lot of capital. And so then suddenly those same investors who were six months prior afraid to spend any money on tech are now spending lots of money on tech. And so it's been a very much a, a very high ebb and flow of, of um, interested clients and in, in what they want to invest in. I would probably argue the part that has been challenging is trying to figure out what is coming next. Because... We certainly don't know. This is unprecedented. Uh, nothing oh, yeah. has happened like this. And so from a standpoint of positioning the business to grow, I don't even know if there is going to be a, a post-COVID. Maybe it will just always be COVID, just COVID under control. But what is that, you know, what does that world look like? And how do we position ourselves to be in the right place? Uh, Jeff Bezos talks about this a lot, which is he's never thinking about today's problem. He's thinking about the problem in two years. And so if we're trying to be thinking about the problem in two years and we don't know what the problem is, it certainly makes it a, a tough one to solve. Yeah, it's, um, I remember the exact quote by um, the famous hockey player, uh, the Canadian one, don't play where the poke was, play where it will be the next moment. Like try to predict what's going to happen next. Otherwise it will be always late. And um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> That's what uh, Jeff likes to talk about, you know, the future problems and probably this is the Apple's approach to hardware. Look at the future and see what technologies on the way out and which one you should invest on, which one are kind of a gradually fading away. Um, now, during challenging time, uh, times, businesses react differently. Uh, is with many things uh some people just don't mind to get a bonus and extra uh, demand for their services and they're okay with that other um folks sparked by the impulse to help people out uh decided to, to donate the services to provide it for free of charge to support people and you guys are among the latter category so how you've been helping in business uh, during these harsh times we had we've had a couple opportunities over the last couple of years. Uh, well, I guess since the pandemic started, mm-hmm. and we knew uh, kind of we saw where uh, we saw how other businesses were impacted, and we we also were very fortunate in that we we weren't impacted as certainly as severely as as some of the others. And so our kind of the way that we approached it was how can we help the most? Where can we, where can we make the biggest impact and utilizing our own services and what we're good at our core competencies really made the most sense. And so that started, uh, early last year. Um, one of the big problems in at least Texas was restaurants who had a ton of extra capacity were willing to give away free meals to people who, who couldn't afford meals at that time. 
But the challenge was the demand for those meals was so high and the number of restaurants was so high and the people who needed them was so high that coordinating, you know, distributing those, those free meals to the, um, those people in need was difficult. And so the, the company was called Reach and we came in and, and built them a, essentially a software platform to manage the distribution of those free meals. Uh, we built it all pro bono. Um, we didn't charge them for it. And what we saw was that they went from being able to service one restaurant and about 100 customers per hour, or in this case, not customers, they're not paying, but 100 mm-hmm. people per hour to nearly 10 and almost 10,000 people. So um, huge increase in the, the volume they were able to handle. It was actually so successful that we started a, you know, an entire uh, a whole program around it and which we've called the giving back program. Um, maybe not the most creative name, but it's, it, it explains what it does. Uh, and the end of last year, we took on another project for the boys and girls club of long beach to help build them a mobile app for their, um, for their patrons to be able to communicate more effectively. And so it's a messaging platform with a little bit of marketing, Um, and we worked with the boys and girls club to essentially custom build, um, this messaging platform for exactly what they need. It is scheduled to be launched, uh, the end of this month. So that should be coming out very soon. Um, but our, our hope there is that not only will it help them, but potentially it will help other, you know, boys and girls club is a national, um, national brand of many, many locations. And, And our hope is if it helps them, then potentially we can roll that out to kind of future, and other boys and girls centers. Gotcha. So are people reaching out to you or you're looking for uh, people who need help and reach them out? Both, both. Um, in the first case, it, the reach reached out, ironically, reach reached out to us. Yeah. And for boys and girls club, uh, we, it was a little bit more of a, we have an, an opportunity. We have some you know, extra capacity to take on a project like this and, and we'd like to help. And so then um, we actually reached out to them because we thought they would be an interesting fit. Are you guys uh, Texas-based, or it was just a coincidence that they, um, I mean, your office is, when you were uh, still working, not remotely, but from the office, are located in which part of the states? Mm-hmm. Uh, in Beverly Hills, California, so that's where our headquarters are. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we also have an office in Dallas, Texas. And oh, we still have the offices, they just, you know, the amount of uh, foot traffic they get is relatively low. Let's talk about the projects you've been uh, working on. Can you recall any tough one, uh, any project that were hard to crack? You've said that uh, you're paying attention to probably your personally or your team to psychology of an interaction between the software and the, and the person who is using it. Uh, to make it useful for him, probably paying attention more to how, uh, what's the good balance between using the app, you know, like avoiding all those cases when we're all dealing with like, you know, Instagram or Facebook, um, making sure that the app is the tool, the smartphone itself is a tool. Uh, you're not addicted to it. Like a, like a bicycle for a brain, like Steve Jobs used to say. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the projects and the ones that are hard to crack. Yeah. Uh, the hardest ones in our case usually are, is that is the point at which we know we have 
a, a feature or a function that is really valuable to a user. And um, sometimes in a very simple case, it could be e-commerce. You know, it's something, you know, a, a really cool product that you can buy through an app or, or a purchase experience. It's really interesting. Um, that once we know we have that feature, and we usually get to that. We call it, in our case, we call it a core loop. Uh, core loop is the, the activity that, you know, that bicycle you're talking about is kind of mm -hmm. the, the, same, the same activity that they're doing kind of every day uh, that, that brings them back to the app. So we really focus on that. So once we have that, the hard part is actually getting them to do it every day and really getting them to go, you know, just like a bicycle. It's hard to sometimes get on that bicycle every day and actually use it every single day. And for an app to be really successful, that's what we need is, is that daily engagement. We, we, no matter the, the type, if it's, if it's a commerce app, of course, we're looking at purchases and we need them to be coming back to buy more stuff. But if it's on a social end where there is no purchasing, there is no buying, there is no metric for money coming in, we're, what we're purely looking at is engagement. How many hours, how many, and in some cases, minutes and even seconds are they spending in the app? How many times are they opening it? And getting them to do that on a, uh, getting users to do that on a recurring basis are, are some of the hardest problems to solve. And we've, we've kind of, uh, over time, built a, what we consider something relatively proprietary in terms of driving that. And we use a combination of, of course, you can use marketing. So that's, you know, push notifications, emails, reminding yeah. people to go back. Cohorts, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, we, we try to stay away from that if we can, you know, because it's a little bit less interesting to do that. What we find is a little more interesting is using as much social influence and influence from other users as we can. So gamification, um, uh, social call outs, uh, referrals, things where we can lean on a network, the network we currently have to help stimulate that engagement. And even with, with digital commerce, even with purchasing, you can do the same thing. It, bringing in some of that social influence can, you know, make a huge difference. And so part of, uh, oh, I don't know that we can necessarily say we've solved that problem, that engagement problem for every app, but I, I do like to think that we've at least, you know, we're, we're getting better at it. And I, I think over time, hopefully we'll get much better at it. Yeah, that's, uh, I would totally agree. This is the hardest part because you're, uh, connecting your app with people with completely different personality or lifestyle, uh, you know, work, work schedule, things happening unpredictable for those people. They have no idea about their future, let alone you know what's going to happen next and how the pattern of usage of your app of that person that or this person will change over time and how we can actually build the app business based on unpredictable factors in the future and still like um, make the project work. Sure. Um, so um, let's switch the gears a little bit. Let's talk about innovation and app development in general. I saw in your blog post, you recently talked about the, what it takes to innovate in app design. Uh, so tell me about it and why it's important. Of course. Of if you're not innovating, you're already behind. Um, uh, we've been talking about, you know, looking two years ahead and, and trying to stay ahead of the curve. Um, it's certainly important, not just um, for our marketing, not just because we want to be seen as an innovative company, but uh, users expect it. Uh, 
the user demographic has changed a lot over the last 10 years. Uh, it, it, the primary focus for a lot of what we were targeting used to be millennials, um, mm-hmm. maybe, yeah, mostly millennials. And now it's, you know, it's the Gen Z, um, it's Gen Z and Gen Z in, interacts differently. They are a, um, demanding, um, and, and for good reason, demanding, unforgiving user group. Then they require that whatever experience you put in front of them is something new and different, uh, innovative and something that, that challenges the way that they think. And it's because they've grown up with technology. They've, I mean, they've had it from literally the time, you know, my, my cousins, they, when they were three months old, they had an iPad. I mean, three months old and you know, they, they can, I don't know what they were doing, but they were, you know, flicking left and right on an iPad. And so they've, they've grown up with it. And so their demands for it are very different. And so part of um, our need, part of the reason Innovate is a need is we have to be staying ahead of that. And it comes in a lot of different flavors. Uh, I think there's the, the interesting ones are some of the really deep tech, you know, machine learning, blockchain, um, AR, uh, I would call them maybe a little bit more flashy buzzwords, um, than, than maybe what they actually represent. And to us, what they represent is a change in user experience. And that's what, what, where we try to really emphasize our innovation is, can we make the user experience more seamless, um, more intuitive, easier to use by using those deep tech pieces. And sometimes that's through really cool UI. Sometimes it's through animations or graphics. Um, and if we can do that, we, we, we try as, as much as we can to kind of push that envelope with innovation. How do you, how do you crack this problem of actually figuring out, uh, what the app should does, you know, from a perspective of a Gen Z, uh, he or she, uh, focus group testing, doing research, uh, like, I, or you have somebody in your team who is from the Gen Z generation. How do you guys solve this problem? Yeah, uh, that, totally fair. Um, we don't have anyone on our team in Gen Z. Um, I think we might get into child labor laws if we had that. Oh, yeah. um, right. <laughs> but uh, we do a decent amount of focus group testing. We are big believers in, in um, interviews. And so we, we spend a lot of time, especially with our, our more social applications that, that depend on a social experience, we spend a, a fair bit of time and effort with the app, with a user in that category. Um, we have to be a little bit careful because there's, some, there's COPA uh, compliance, so and they mm-hmm. need to be over 13. But, but even still, we, can, um, we get a lot just by kind of the way that, that um, kids interact while we're watching it. Also, every app that we build is just loaded with analytics. It's, I mean, we, we know pretty much everything the user's doing. It would, I think it's, it's a little bit frightening sometimes how much the analytics actually tell you about what the user's doing. So we use kind of a combination of, of approaches. Yeah, it's a little bit scary. Uh, I, I'm just uh, finally watching the uh, Westworld third season about how much information people are going to be having in the future about all of us. Uh, anyway, for the last several years, a number of new technologies emerged in the app development field. So uh, in your perspective, from your point of view, 
which ones do you believe to be uh, staying in the um, field and which ones are kind of like gimmicks? Yep. A, a totally fair question and one that we are literally constantly asking ourselves. It's, and it's really hard to piece apart the difference. And, uh, you know, I, when we try to f figure out what is the rule that we use to determine um, what's going to stay and what's not, generally speaking, is we always default back to, does it add value to the consumer? And it needs to add true value to the consumer. Uh, I think back to kind of like 3D glasses. When TVs came out, they, they you know, 3D TVs were, a, you know, a big wave, you know, 10 years ago. And I, I thought, oh, 3D TVs are going to be the next biggest thing. Turns out they're not. They just, uh, just, yeah, landed flat, didn't make it, never continue. And I think we, we I reflect back on why. And it's because the, the value to the consumer, there, there wasn't any true value to the consumer. It, it, it was, there wasn't anything more that they were getting out of the 3D. It was, it was a gimmick. It was a gimmick layered on top of, you know, the pixels were already there. It, 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 it's not like you're seeing more of the scene by seeing it in 3D. There's not a, you're not, the experience doesn't change when it's in 3D. And so um, we look at it the same way. And so when we think about which app, which app technologies, if you think about kind of the deep one, deep tech ones we're talking about, AR, VR, um, ML, blockchain, um, I, I would, I would argue that they're, they're probably all going to be there in some way, but I think the way that they manifest will change. I, I don't know that the, the, you know, the augmented reality gimmick where, um, you know, we have, we're constantly using face filters all the time. Um, I, I don't know if that will necessarily be a long-term application, but there are very functional, valuable ways to utilize AR that I, I think, you know, seeing products in your house and how they look in your house, super functional, super valuable. And I, I think that's a long-term application. Um, kind of the same thing with VR, kind of a similar, if you can make it functional experience. We can get into the, sorry, go ahead. Along these lines, I love this new feature in iOS 15, live text. Uh, it's just awesome. Um, and it's working pretty good in, in, on, not only for the, you know, the standard printed text, but handwriting is recognition is pretty robust. And I can testify that it's not only applicable to English, but to Russian as well. So, yeah, um, it's kind of hard to gouge uh, what technology will stay? Um, you can see the writing on the wall from you know from three D to TV, as you said, and probably in the equation of VR and AR, I'm you know leaning toward the AR being more practical because it's hard to convince people to <laughs> carry something on their head, even if it's a Ray Ban glasses as we've just seen with Facebook. The jury's still out. We, we, we have no idea how it's going to pan out pan out in a few uh, months or years. But AR can be really practical, uh, like in terms of what Apple's been doing with iOS, um, like real value on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Okay, uh, we've covered the major topic on the table, and we're just going to spend a few moments uh, covering a few questions I have for every guest on the show, just to paint a better picture of who he or she is. All right, question number one. What smartphone do you have now? Uh, have you been switching between iOS, Android, or just staying one side all the time? 
I am an iOS um, diehard, and I've had iOS from the beginning. Um, I probably had the first one, and I usually have the latest one. That being said, uh, Android has surprised me. I actually, so to be fair, I, I do have both devices. I, I mean, I, I carry both devices around, but the one that I use for most of what I do is an iOS device. Um, and I have a Pixel 3 and a, a Samsung Galaxy, and they're, you know, Android's impressive. They've, uh, in fact, I might argue in some cases, they are better than iOS in both the experience and in the technology that they're using. Um, and I don't think I would ever, I didn't think, you know, 10 years ago that I think I would say that. That's, that's the nature of competition. Uh, and uh, you may argue it's even helpful for Apple to, you know, to see them as a competitor and, uh, you know, keep them in, in good shape. Um, Okay, uh, what was your first mobile phone? Uh, the LG Envy. It was um, super cutting edge for its time. This was in <laughs> 2005. And you could flip it open and it had the keyboard inside, you know, the actual physical keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, made, I remember you know, those. Yeah, it was it, texting, was it felt like being on a little, you know, little laptop. Right now, if you've left your smartphone at home, what would be the most missing feature for you? Uh, there's a lot of features that I'm glad that I'm leaving at home when I leave my smartphone at home. But <laughs> uh, probably, uh, it's probably boring, but uh, email um, uh, is, you know, being connected. I, I think it's just now, it's, it's no longer like, a, you know, when I had a BlackBerry, you know, people would be surprised that email them back so fast because, you know, how, how can you do that? Now it's an expectation is, you know, it's, you have your smartphone. We know what you got my email and why didn't you respond in, you know, 45 seconds. Yeah. This is the expectation of these days. Um, <clears throat> when you're looking at your iPhone and, um, have you ever have this thought uh, wouldn't be great, you know, in terms of hardware, software, that this thing could do uh, could be anything, not necessarily you know, doing more, but probably keeping you know this balance between uh, work and leisure, you know, um, being just a tool, as we mentioned before, and not just you know grabbing every uh, piece of your life, like being just uh, just a tool you can take away, or you're looking for you know features like you know better, better and stuff. Uh. The your iPhone tracks how much time your you know, screen time, and it will mm-hmm. send your. I have it set to send me a report every week on how much time I spend in front of my phone. I spend a lot of time in front of my phone. It, <laughs> it reminds me of that not every Sunday, uh, and I actually it it doesn't bother me. Um, I, you know, my to be fair though, my business is building apps for a phone, yeah. so I. I, I have, you know, take that with a grain of salt, but I also, I, I appreciate kind of the experiences that it provides. I, I appreciate that, you know, it's, I get to kind of see new problems solved in new ways with new experiences. And I, I take a lot of joy in that. I would say that it's not as, to me, the issue is not as much a global being in front of my phone versus not. It's, I think just like most things in life, it's balancing what I'm looking at on the phone. You know, if I spend recently, I've gotten into TikTok. I, um, I've been a long time. Usually I'm not the first on any social platform, but, you know, TikTok is 
unbelievably addictive. It is, you can spend you know, two hours just scrolling through TikTok. That time, sometimes I wish I could get back, but that has nothing to do with the smartphone. That's TikTok. And so um, uh, I, I think there's a little bit of a, you know, a balance of what is it that, what is it from the phone that you really find that value from that I, that I, you know, that I can, that I can take and cherish and the things that maybe I should avoid that, that I'm not getting as much value. Gotcha, Nick. Um, very final question before I let you go, how can people get in touch with you and more get to know more information about what you do and, uh, approach you to become the next company you've been working for, like these uh, projects you, you, you mentioned? Of course. Probably the best way is to go through our website, swensme.com, and there's a contact form there. If you send it through there, um, it will get picked up usually within 15 minutes or so. Um, Alternatively, my LinkedIn, shoot me a message. Um, that's fine. Tweet at me, send me a Facebook message. Um, I'm pretty plugged in in terms of, uh, in terms of most things. Terrific. Thank you. Thanks, Nick, for coming on our podcast and your time. Thanks. Thank you, Art. Bye-bye. And that was Nick Swenson, managing partner at Swenson He. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. We release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe and you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.